called Dressed to Kill. And uh, I don't know if they have the, the uh, flyer up there. Do they? Is it there? But uh, uh, Felicia did a great job of getting the uh, flyer ready for today. A little man dressed in a tuxedo, dressed to kill. And what we're going to be talking about uh, for these next few weeks is the armor of God. <laughs> Ephesians 6, the armor of God, because we have been charged and commanded that we are to be dressed to kill. Amen? Not dressed to kill like in the world. You know, there was, there was a saying, oh man, she's dressed to kill. No, we're talking about real warfare, real, real battles. So if you turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians 6, we're going to read, <coughs> we're going to read um, from verse, uh, starting in verse 10. And it reads like this. A final word. This is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. How much of it? All, all of God's armor. So that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm, Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. You cannot sleep. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Turn around and ask your neighbor, you got your armor on? <laughs> Go ahead and have a seat. <coughs> on Sunday night, as many of you are, are aware, the airwaves were flooded with the news that the leader of the Muslim world was killed, Osama bin Laden. And it was actually a bittersweet moment for me as I thought of how this man had killed so many thousands of people in America and how our country's enemy was now dead. We've been a war, in a war for almost 10 years looking for this man. And if you've been listening to the news at all, they describe how the Navy SEALs were able to go in and capture and kill him. But it, you know, as, as they've been describing it, they also describe the tactics. They all did also describe how they prepared because they, they had been looking at, at the uh, compound where Osama lived and they were able to discern through all of the satellite photos and everything how there were false floors and there were false doors and all of these things they were able to see. 
And they had to prepare for that day. They had to be trained to do battle. And they knew before they went into that compound, they knew who their enemy was. They had a plan to defeat him, and they even had a plan to kill him on sight, which is what they did. See, we're in a war also, a spiritual one. Unfortunately, there are people who are engaged in spiritual warfare who have no idea who their enemy is. They have no plan for victory, and they have little, if any, training for battle. You expect to win when you do not know your battle plan? You expect to win when you don't know who your enemy is? You expect to win? How? How do you expect to win? You're, you're definitely not going to be able to know who your enemy is if you do not have a clear understanding of what the Bible says who your enemy is. You're not going to know how to strategize. You're not going to know how to put on all of these different pieces of armor in order to fight the enemy. It is not Satan who is picking people off in this battle. Now, understand what I'm saying. It is not Satan who is picking off people in this battle. It is all of his low-level foot soldiers. Because it is his low-level foot soldiers that trip us up all the time. Satan can only be in one place at one time. And believe me, he is not going to waste his time on us. He's battling the Billy Grahams, the David Wilkerson's, the Nikki Cruz's, the Pastor Sonny's. That's who he's battling against. Men and women who can influence thousands. If he can get Joyce Myers, if he can get Billy Graham, if he can get Paul Youngie Cho, if he can get these great men and women of God, then he has actually gotten thousands. And so what he sends our way are his little foot soldiers. How sad we get tripped up by a foot soldier. Those foot soldiers, they press the battle on us because we're unprepared, because we're unarmed. And he takes us captive because we don't have enough knowledge of the Jesus Christ in our life. So I'm here to tell you today that it is time to rise up in this battle and take back what the enemy has stolen from us. It is time that we stop playing. This is not a playground. This is a battleground. We're not here to go down the slides or play teeter-totter or go on the swings. This is not a playground. If you came to play, you're in the wrong place. We came to do battle. We came to get prepared for war because we're in a war. The enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh wants, parts of the flesh want that old life. The world wants to dominate our thinking, and the devil wants to make sure it all happens. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. What, what's in the world? Pictures, products, advertisement, temptations. The world tells us. It, it really affects our thinking because the world tells us that we don't need to have boundaries. 
The world, I mean, at two years old. A two-year-old doesn't want boundaries. You tell, you tell a two-year-old, no, you can't have that cookie. Why? How come? Don't go here. I was talking to a, a, a friend in L.A., and she took her grandchildren out to the park. And through our whole conversation, no, 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 don't do that. No, 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 go, don't go, don't go there. And it was like, you, you know, maybe you need to, be, no, no, no. They, they know their boundaries. No, 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 don't go there. No, They don't know their boundaries. The enemy tells us we don't have boundaries. The enemy tells us everything is okay as long as we're satisfied. The enemy, the enemy tells us don't worry about the cost. Don't worry about the price you have to pay. So what if you lose your family? So what if you lose your integrity? So what if you lose your name? So what? If it feels good, do it. That is a lie from the pit of hell. See, you have to understand that every day we are learning something. Every day we learn from TV, we learn from advertisements, we learn from the movies we watch, we learn from the internet. We forget that we are learning every single day. Whatever we read, we're learning something. Everything we watch, we're learning something. Everything we listen to, we're learning something. But is it all good or what? Before you were a Christian, things weren't that difficult. Some of you have thought, man, ever since I gave my life to Christ, man, I'm always going through trials now. My whole life is a trial. Seems that everyone and everything is against you. But you have to remember that you were on the enemy's side before. That's why you didn't have no problems. Whatever the enemy told you to do, there you were. Go ahead, do this, do this, do this. No problem. You weren't a threat or a danger to him. He didn't even mess with you. But now that you've decided to serve Christ, now that you've decided to become a soldier in the Lord's army, now you're getting hit left and right and wondering what's wrong. Well, what's wrong is that you're in a good fight. You're in the fight for your life. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The spiritual battle we are involved in, it's a good fight. And the reason it's a good fight is because we're in a war for the salvation of souls. We're in a war for eternity. We're in a war that's going to make a difference. And that is what makes it worth it. Paul says right here in the opening scripture, verse 10, he says he encourages, he exhorts, and he commands every believer to be strong in the Lord. That's what he's saying. Be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in your opinion. Don't be strong in your talk. Don't be strong in your bank account. Don't be strong in your job. Don't be strong in your intellect and your knowledge. Be strong in the Lord. That's what you need to do. Zechariah 4, 6 says, This is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. Paul is saying our strength comes from the Lord. It comes from him. Also what comes from him is our strategies, our equipment, and our strength. Anytime 
you decide to take a stand for Jesus and you want to grow and you want to get closer to him, you can expect an all-out assault on you. An all-out assault on your life. Because, see, it goes with the territory. Anytime you say, you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to serve God, and you say it with your mouth, and you say it with your heart, and the enemy hears you and like, oh, really? Oh, really? This is what you want to do? You have to expect some heavy spiritual warfare. And those spiritual attacks only say one thing. You're on the right track. You're on the right track. Sometimes I have gone through so many trials back to back to back to back, and I'm like, man, what's happening? And I have to remind myself, I'm on the right track here. Because if I wasn't on the right track, I wouldn't be getting hit. If you're a mediocre Christian, you're not really interested in spiritual things, you, you portray yourself here one way, but you go on and you live a, another way, then you're right exactly where the enemy wants you. You're right where Satan wants you. And you know what? He's not going to bug you. He's going to leave you alone because he has you right where he wants you. You come here, you sing a song, you raise your hands, but then you lack integrity outside. You portray yourself as something and someone different to your family and your friends. But once you take a strong stand to obey, then you got a war on your hands. And that's why Paul says, stand strong in the power of his might. Then Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. And any good soldier who has ever been in a battle will tell you that you have to have the right battle gear when you're going to go into war. If you have the wrong gear, you're done. You are destined for failure. You, we can't go out into the battlefield thinking we can do this on our own strength, and our own might, and in our own methods. Why? Because the enemy is stronger than we are. Now, he's not only stronger, but he's smarter. Satan has his methods, he has his plots, and he has his schemes. That's why 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be diligent, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. If you do not have all of your gear on, if you are not prepared, then the enemy is watching what you don't have. You don't have the sword. Oh, man, there goes your hand. You don't have your breastplate of righteousness. Oh, there goes your heart. You don't have your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel. There goes your foot. You don't have the helmet of salvation. There goes your thought life. He sees. He can see what you got on and what you don't got on. He can see if you just got up too late. No, you didn't have time. You didn't have time to put on your armor. So the minute you go into the bathroom, the kids are knocking on the door, you don't have your armor on. You didn't put on your helmet of salvation. So then you just start yelling and you start screaming and you start saying things that you shouldn't be saying. Whatever battle you're in, whatever temptation you face, God will give you the ability to overcome and withstand it. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that he will 
always make a way of escape that you will be able to bear it. Always, always, always. Not sometimes, not maybe, but always. God knows exactly your breaking point. He knows you. You know why? Because he made you. He knows how much you can handle. Some of you are saying, I can't handle this. And God says, yeah, you can. I know you. He always provides a way of escape. So be strong in the Lord and put on your full armor. And the only way that you can do this is when you, you got to know yourself. You have to know yourself. You've got to know what you can't handle on your own. Sometimes we try to handle more than what we should. We try to handle more than what we're supposed to. And God says, I'm over here ready to take this off of you. And you're like, you know what? I can handle it. I can handle it. You know, when was the last time that you actually broke before the presence of God? When was the last time that you got on your knees, not did one of those quick, fast prayers in the car, not did one of those, oh, oh, oh God, I'm sorry kind of thing. When was the last time you actually got on your knees and broke and asked for his forgiveness and thanked him for his grace and his mercy? When was the last time that you actually broke for the, the possibility of a soul being saved in your family? Because those are the things that should break our heart. Those are the things that should cause us to think twice about our relationship with him. Know yourself. Know what you can handle. Know what you can't handle. And make sure that you have the whole armor of God on because the enemy can spot it. That's why in verse 12 it says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You think it's your spouse? It's not them. You think it's your boss? It's not them. Think it's your kids? It's not them. The word wrestle means hand-to-hand -hand combat. When they used to have Greek games, if someone lost a wrestling match, they would have their eyes gouged out. Paul is talking about a serious fight. He says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not here to gouge anybody's eyes out. We're not here to attack anybody. It's when it comes to wrestling, Satan is an Olympic champion. He knows how to wrestle. He's been doing this a lot longer than we have. And he is our eternal enemy. It's the world. It's our internal enemy, which is the flesh, and our external enemy, which is the world. And he knows what we need to be defeated. Because what appeals to you doesn't appeal to me. And what appeals to me doesn't appeal to you. He knows. Have you ever seen um, that show? I don't know. It, it hasn't been on for a while, but it's called Lie to Me. Lie to Me. I love that show. Lie to Me is a show about um, how this guy can tell when you're lying. Because we all have a tell. Every person has a tell. You know what a tell is? Like when you're playing poker, there are some guys who are, uh, they, they, they go with the big, big guys. You know, that when they, they play poker, they play for like thousands and thousands. And they know themselves. So they wear glasses when they play 
poker because they don't want to give a tell. Like it could be like a little thing of their eye. You know, they start, they get excited. Oh, I got a good hand. I got a king and an ace. And their eyes start going. And so they don't want to give that tell. So they wear real dark glasses. They know themselves. Other people have a tell with their little mouth. And, you know, they, they do a little something with their mouth or their tongue or, or their hands or something. And so why, why did I get off on this? Oh, uh, because we have a tell. Each of us has a tell when it comes to the flesh and the world. And the enemy is watching. He's watching. He knows what our weak areas are because we got to tell. When that girl walks by and he sees you looking, you got to tell. When he sees what you're looking at in a magazine, you got to tell. When he sees what you're looking in the internet, we got to tell. When it seems like we're in a conversation and those words, those little lies just come out without us even thinking about it, we got to tell. We have a tell that maybe that person that we're talking to or maybe that person that we're living with, they may not be able to spot it, but the enemy can spot your tell. He knows you. He knows you. And that's why Paul reminds us that we are not fighting against each other. We're not struggling against other people. Where If you are fighting against somebody or you're struggling against someone else, you're in the wrong battle. You, you think you're fighting with your boss. You think you're arguing with your wife. You think you're battling your husband. You think you're struggling with your kids. You think you're angry with your neighbors, but you're fighting the wrong battle. Because you are letting yourself get sidetracked, fighting against people. The Bible says we're not in a battle against people. We are not fighting and wrestling against flesh and blood. It is not your spouse. It is not your neighbor. It is not your boss. Your boss. It is not your kids. It is the enemy of your soul. There are spiritual forces at work that are being used to aggravate the situation. Take it all out of proportion. Those of you who got here and, and you were trying to get here faster and then you hit the traffic that was coming off the 880 and some of you might have gotten aggravated, those are the things that cause road rage. You think it's that person. You think it's a person that just cut in front of you. You think it's that person that just braked all of a sudden and you almost hit them. And you, all of these things start going through your mind, and it, it's not them. People fly off into road rage, and you think it's that person. Man, that's the enemy breaking it open to uh, make it exorbitant, make it extreme, extravagant, bigger than what it is, so that you can blow it. Our fight is against a well-organized army of demons. Now theologians point out that Paul is describing the different orders and rankings of the demonic realm when in the scripture when he says that we are not fighting against flesh and blood but against the strategies of the devil, against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers and evil spirits in heavenly places. He's describing all the different ranks that are going on in the demonic world. See, because Satan has privates, he has corporals, he has sergeants, 
Because he can only be at one place at one time. Don't ever think that the enemy is after you. He's got all kinds of demons. Different demons are responsible for different things. In the carnal army, carnal weapons are used. In boot camp, you learn, one of the first things that you learn is how to make your rifle an extension of your body. You eat with it, you sleep with it. You learn how to break it down and reassemble it and load it blindfolded. If your weapon fails because you didn't care for it or because you didn't use it properly, you die. That's the hard facts. In a carnal war, your enemies want you dead or they want you wounded. The enemy wants you wounded. You know why he wants you wounded? Because when you're wounded, it takes four people to carry you out. Four people that are walking away from the battle because they have to care about you. Four people that are not on the front lines anymore because they're caring about you. So now the enemy, because of one wounded person, now he has five people out of the, arm, out of the front lines. Five people that were praying and fasting and interceding, now five people are out of the front lines. This is why the enemy would rather wound us than kill us. In this spiritual war, you have one advantage. It's the greatest advantage, but you've got one advantage. Because once you are in Christ, the enemy can't kill you spiritually. You know why? Because you're already dead. Or you're supposed to be. The Bible says we are dead in Christ. And if you're dead in Christ, then what are you doing getting angry? If you're dead in Christ, what are you doing being revengeful? You're dead. You're supposed to be dead. And when you're dead, your life is hid in Christ. Now, there's a lot of things. If you have your, your, your paper and pens, I want to give you these things if, if they really, uh, if you want to look them up later. Because the Bible says that our life is hid in Christ in Colossians 3, 1 through 7. The enemy can kill you physically with God's permission. That's in Job 2, 6. Or he can get you to participate in some activity that will bring about death in Matthew 4, 7. Or he will cause you to commit a sin unto death in 1 John 5, 16. He can make you so wounded that you decide you don't want to be a part of the battle anymore. He can create doubt so that when you pray, you don't receive the answer you want from God. That's in James 1, 5 through 8. He can get you working in the flesh so that you don't receive your rewards in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11 through 15. He can cause you to fall so that you lose your ministry temporarily or for a lifetime. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27 and Hebrews 12, 15 through 17. He can keep you wounded so that others are so wrapped up in caring for you when you should be bearing your own burden and teaching others. 
in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. So how can we resist the devil and avoid the wounds when we put the whole armor of God on and use it correctly? There's a lot of times we attack and reject people instead of attacking the spirit behind the actions of that person. We're over here looking at the people and we're saying, it's you, it's you, it's you. But we're forgetting that we're in a spiritual war and it is the spirit behind them that the lies are coming from. It's the deceiver. It's the liar. It's the enemy. The Bible says that Satan is the father of all lies. He's the father. He's the instigator. That person is just being used. Now, is it sad that God, that the enemy can use Christians? Yep, the enemy can use Christians. Because we get attitude. And he'll use us, unfortunately. And when the enemy uses us, it'll cause that other person to be diverted. So that's why Paul says, be strong, be covered, and be aware. So now I'm going to talk about the first two parts of the armor, which is in verse 14, because that's my part. Every Wednesday, we're going to get another part to the armor. So the first thing that is mentioned in the armor is called the belt of truth. In Roman armor, they used to call the belt a girdle. And it was a, a belt that, uh, because the way that they used to dress, they had long, men had long tunics. Dresses, but tunics. We don't want to say dresses for men, but they were long tunics. And they were flowing. But when they went to battle, they would get a belt like this to hold it in so that it wouldn't be so flowing. They would get it and they would pull the tunic up and tuck it in the belt so that they would have the opportunity and freedom to move the way that they wanted to move that they weren't going to be obstructed by the tunic in getting into the battle, that the, that the tunic wasn't flowing and that nobody could grab their tunic because it was flying all around. It would always hang because that's what they used to do in a daily wear. But when they needed to run or do anything, they would just pull it up and tuck it in the belt so that they could do things, be mobile, and it won't get caught on things. But it also provided, I, I, did, I forgot my, my little Bible, but it also provided a place for their sword. They had a sword, like we have a sword. And they used to get it and tuck it in their belt. So they always had their sword with them. They had a place to put it. They hadn't thought of pockets yet. That hadn't come into mind. They hadn't developed that. So what they did is they would just kind of tuck their sword in their belt. And what the Bible is trying to tell us here is that the truth is what holds us. The truth is what we need, the belt of truth. Our loins gird about with the belt of truth. 
putting on God's truth means living out his word. It means being honest and sincere in our faith. It means that when you leave here, you're going to live and talk and act the same way that you do here in this building. Now, in order to keep us mobile and prevent us from getting stuck on things, we have to wear this truth like a belt. Some belts also protected the man in his stomach. They were like big belts. They weren't little like this. They were big. And they used to take up a whole section like that when they, of, of their, their, uh, army, their armor. And when that belt would cover, it would cover their stomach, and the Bible says that it also covered their bowels, which is right around that same area. It covers the waist or the bowels of a person. And when you read the Bible, the bowels always represent the seat of emotion. When you say, oh man, it, you, you just, have you ever cried so hard or so deep that you, that you didn't cry from here, you cried from here. You just, you cried from the depths. When, when, when there's something wrong, you're just like, ugh, from your gut. That's what we say, right? I felt it in my gut. I felt it like it was so deep. You don't, you don't do this, you do this, because that's where the seat of your emotions are. The bowels represent the place of emotions. And our emotions need to be controlled by truth, not our truth controlled by our emotions. Because if our truth is controlled by emotions, then we're going to react to everything that comes our way on a daily schedule. Anything that anybody says, we're going to react. What? Who said? When did they say that? How did they say What? You ever been around somebody like that? They're always reacting. You got to have your, your loins, your stomach, your bowels wrapped around truth. When they wore the belt, it also provided a support to their back to reduce the strain and injury. And as we grow in truth, it's going to strengthen our spiritual backbone. Those men who uh, load trucks, they wear this big old thing around them. I don't, I'm not sure what it's called, but you know what I'm talking about, that thing. And it, what does it do? It protects everything here, and it protects your back. And they wear that for a reason, because they know that if the back isn't protected, then the stomach isn't protected. And if the stomach isn't protected, the back isn't protected. They both work together. The belt of truth works on, on your bowels of your emotions, and it also works to strengthen your spiritual backbone so that you'll be able to carry any load that comes your way. God's truth is important for us to be able to battle against the enemy's lies. We build our life on truth because Satan is a liar. He has been lying to some of you today. He has been lying to some of you last week, last month. He's going to lie to you tonight or tomorrow because he's constantly attacking the truth to make us doubt. I'm not healed. 
God's not going to meet my need. They're never going to change. I'll never be able to do this. But when you have your loins girded with truth, then you have an attitude where you're ready, you're committed, you're convinced that it doesn't matter what it looks like on paper, it doesn't matter what it looks like, what everybody says, but you know that you know that you know that God is going to come through because that's what his word says. That's truth. Without truth, we don't have a moral compass. Without truth, we do whatever we want. Truth is our true north. It is the guiding presence that gives us direction. It, it is what allows us to have conviction of our character. There is a story of General Stonewall Jackson, and it was said of him that when he went into battle, he never ran for cover or dismounted his horse for fear of his life. When somebody asked him, why didn't you ever run? Why didn't you ever get off your horse? He said, if you believe in a supreme and sovereign God of truth as I do, then you have nothing to fear. When we act differently than we talk, then we're being hypocritical or insecure. The word insecure is having dividedness between our words and our actions. When we do not talk and walk the same, there is an insecurity inside of us. And that is where Satan tries to destroy our character. But when we talk and walk the same, then we become people of integrity. Integrity means that we're whole. We're one. They match up. Truth is absolute. Truth does not change. What is moral and right and true today will be moral and right and true tomorrow. It was moral and right and true yesterday. It doesn't change. Truth is what it is. Truth. You can't add to it or you can't take away from it. Truth really works. You know that? It really works. Now, I don't know how many of you in this room have ever told a lie. I don't want to know. But I will tell you this, that when you tell a lie, it's hard to keep it up. Because then you have to tell another lie in order to keep up that lie. And then what happens when you forget? Oh, man. I remember so many times I would bust myself because I would tell my dad I was going here and then we'd be driving and, um, and he would mention like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, I, I've been there too. When did you go there? Ugh. Busted. I'd bust myself. But when you live by the truth, you don't have to worry about keeping up the game. You just live. It is so freeing. Ask a former liar. It is so freeing to live truth. Nothing is easier in life than living the truth. Can I hear an amen from all former liars? Okay. I don't know how many of you ever remember the Twilight Zone. But there was an episode that came out, and I'm, hopefully I can remind some of you of this one, because I remember this one. 
It was an episode where an American was on a walking trip through Central Europe, and he gets caught in a storm. And he gets blinded by all the rain and the hurricane-like waters. And, and what happens is that he finds himself in front of a medieval castle. And what he does is he knocks on the door and he finds out that this medieval castle is a place for the brotherhood of monks. These monks were real reclusive. They didn't talk to anybody. They just lived by themselves. And they really didn't want to take him in because only monks lived there. But they did. And later that night, the American was walking around and he finds a cell with a man locked inside it. And there was a, a long wooden staff which was bolting the door. And the prisoner, through the bars, told the American, they're holding me captive. The head monk, Brother Jerome, he's insane. He has me in here. I didn't do anything. And he pleads for the American to release him. He says, just take this, that, that bolt off the door. And, and he kept on pleading and, and you know, talking to him. And, and he had such a nice face and, and such a gentle voice. And it kind of won the American over. So the American goes over to Brother Jerome, the head monk, and he tells him, I found your prisoner. I don't know what he did, but he looks like a nice guy. He looks and sounds like he didn't do anything. And the head monk tells him, that prisoner is Satan. He's the father of all lies. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, yes, that wooden pole that's right there across the door is the staff of truth. And that's the one barrier he can't pass. And the American told the monk, you know what? I think you're nuts. Because I don't think that's Satan. That's a nice guy that you have locked up in there. I think you're mad. So that night, when everybody went to sleep, the American went and took off that wooden pole from the door. And when the door opens, the man walks out and he immediately transforms into a hideous, horned demon. And he vanishes in a puff of smoke. The American was shocked because he realized what he had done. And he ran to the head monk, Jerome, and he tells him, I did it. I, I, don't, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm so sorry. And Jerome tells him, I'm sorry for you, my son, because all your life, you will remember this night and who you turned loose into the world. And the American said, but I didn't believe you. I saw him and I didn't recognize him. He didn't look ugly. He didn't look like the devil. And Jerome told him, that is man's weakness. 
and Satan's strength. You'll never recognize it. And that is something that we need to understand. It's that only when we have the belt of truth will we be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. Secondly, we have the breastplate of righteousness. And the purpose of the breastplate is to guard the most vital organs of your body. It's like the bulletproof vest that protects your heart. Righteousness is the first gift of God that was given to us through the cross. For our sins are, for, are covered by the blood and God sees us as righteous. It is the first condition of the heart. When you accepted Christ, righteousness actually came upon you. Righteousness turned that black heart white. Your sins have been forgiven. That is the first thing that you have. Our sins are no longer before us. It is no longer what controls our life or the course. The breastplate of righteousness is to cover any fatal wound to the heart. When a policeman wears a bulletproof vest and he goes into battle, it reminds us that not all blows to the chest are fatal. You can hit the solar plexus, which is the thing that uh, protects the heart, and it might knock the wind out of you, and it might even bring you to your knees, but you'll live. And in our struggle with Satan, he has determined to pierce our hearts with the accusations of lies. He'll sabotage our life with lies. He tries to attack our hearts with accusations. But God told us, protect our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart more than anything else because it is the source of life that flows from it. There's only one thing that can, can protect our heart against the devil's accusations, and that's God's righteousness. Not self-righteousness, because some people are self-righteous. I know that when I came to Christ, that was my problem. That was my sin, self-righteousness. It's not keeping a list of all the things that you did right. It's not in being a Pharisee. It's not in doing everything that you think is right. Because you can't manufacture righteousness. That's what Satan deceives us into thinking, that we can be righteous before God by the way that we act and the way that we do things. It's not possible. The righteousness is about living under God's influences. So that when the enemy attacks us and accuses us, that we're able to stand firm in our faith. When was the last time that you just let an accusation just flow off of you? When was the last time that somebody accused you of something and you didn't talk back? You didn't want revenge. You didn't say anything. You just like, let it go. Because if you did, then you had your breastplate on. But if you didn't, if somebody flipped you off when you were driving... If your spouse told you something at home, if your kids got on your case because they reminded you of something and you retorted back, where was your breastplate of righteousness? When we obey God's spirit, we'll have his joy and we'll bear his fruit. But when we don't have that breastplate of righteousness, the enemy steals our joy. We're fruitless in our ministry. 
It steals our heavenly reward, and it destroys our witness and our influence. The enemy tries to destroy us by one accusation after another because Satan is the accuser. He cannot accuse a believer who's living a godly life under the influence of God's spirit and God's word. He cannot kill us spiritually because we're already dead. Can't kill us spiritually, especially if we put on God's righteousness. The devil can accuse us 24-7, but if we will put ourselves under his righteousness, we're good. We're all good. If we rely on our righteousness even a little bit, we will open up a hole for him to hit us in our solar plexus right where it hurts. That's why you have people who get hurt. Say, I'm, I'm not coming back there. Why? Well, because they didn't change my baby's diaper. Or they, you know, somebody bit my little son. Or nobody shook my hand. Or they didn't invite me here. Or they get hurt. people get hurt all the time. And you know why they get hurt? Because they don't have their breastplate on. They left it at home. They're open for anything and everyone to come and be rude or be insensitive to them. And then they walk away being hurt. You got to get your armor on. So these are the first two pieces of armor. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. I want to tell you this, before a soldier goes out into battle, they always, always check their armor. Because soldiers are in battle after battle. And there are places where pieces of armor might have become damaged because of a past battle. Maybe you went through a battle and your breastplate got a little dinged. Maybe you went through a battle and your truth was not covering those emotions and you said things and did things that you shouldn't have done. If you do not repair these pieces of armor, it's not going to hold up for the next battle. It might leave you vulnerable and it might leave you unguarded. Maybe your belt of truth isn't what it should be or maybe your breastplate of righteousness isn't that strong. That's what the altar is for to get it taken care of so that when you leave here, your breastplate of righteousness is strong and your belt of truth is strong. Stand with me tonight. If you have, bow your heads with me. <laughs> and as you bow your heads, think about your belt of truth. Think about your armor today. Think about your breastplate of righteousness. Have you been getting hurt and wounded for things that you shouldn't be or your belt of truth is not protecting your emotions and you're just acting emotionally? You gotta get your armor on. You gotta check it out right now. Check out your armor and see. Is it dinged up because of past battles and you haven't taken care of it? You've been shot at, you've been clawed at, and you need to get it refinished. And you can refinish it today by coming to the altar and letting God do that work. I'm going to open up the altars for you to come right now. <laughs> 